Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Morning. Wow. Okay. Welcome to Northgate Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Garrett. Um, hey, <laughs> I had a lot of comments about the haircut, so I brought Dylan up so people would recognize me. <clears throat> so I just want to share some scripture real quickly with you guys. Matthew 7, um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Hearing that last song, I hope we thought about, uh, I hope we think about how Christ's word, how Christ is the foundation to build our entire life so that whatever storms come, against that house, against what we build on his foundation, it won't come apart. So, uh, welcome again. If you are new here, or if you are old here, um, we have a connect QR code on the back of the bulletins. You can uh, scan that with your phone. It'll take you to a web page where you can uh, ask for prayer requests. You can tell us a little bit about yourselves. You can request information, all sorts of stuff. It is useful to everyone. So uh, utilize that. Uh, we have something exciting coming up. If any of you remember Perry Stelter, he's got uh, uh, a ministry he's got running. And actually, actually, we got a video of that, right? Is that uh, one of these? Awesome. Let's, let's take a look at that. Perry Stelter, president of Word of Hope Ministries. And I'm so excited to come to Northgate Baptist Church for this special event on March 26th. This is the church that I grew up in. This was my home church for many years. This was a, and is a church of my family name, the Stelters. And so I have found that since I've been in ministry for about 12 years now, that I've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things preaching, writing, and um, various other aspects of my ministry with the website and doing workshops and uh, writing a few books. But one thing that I have found that I have not really had time to do is to really tell some specific parts of my story. Some are traumatic and some are just part of everyday life. But what I want to do on the 26th is I've gathered a bunch of people to join me and what I want to do is tell you a story. And I want to do that through telling you a few different parts of my story from my life I also want to engage you as the audience through congregational uh, singing and music. And this is exciting because it's being led by a live band with my wife on the piano and about five or six guitarists and a drummer. And so this should be a great time of praising the Lord. I'm also going to have a few friends of mine come and do a few special numbers. And so 
together, this is going to be a great time of encouragement, especially as we're coming out of the, uh, a lot of the COVID restrictions. And another, as another exciting aspect of what we're going to be doing is my daughter is uh, an artist and we've had the privilege of being on some joint projects together. And so she is going to have her artwork on display and she's going to have some of her prints for sale as well. And so there's going to be a silent auction painting that she's giving away and all the proceeds are going to go to the Cross Cancer Institute. But this is going to be an exciting event. I'm excited about preparing for it and I'm hoping that you will come and join me. Bring your family, bring your friends. We'll see you there. Awesome. Um, there's also a insert with a little more information in the bulletin if you grabbed that. A couple more things as we get this morning going. Uh, we need a little bit more help, a few more volunteers with Sunday morning business. So that'd be like, uh, all the whole works. Ushering, greeting, serving coffee and cookies, which is another announcement we'll be getting to. So uh, if you're interested, please contact the office. You can talk to any of the staff and we can get that going. Next week is Name Tag Sunday. So I know it's been a while since uh, some of us have been around. And so uh, that way, we've got name tags, you know, masks on, masks off, doesn't matter. You'll be able to know who it is, and you'll recognize their name. Uh, parents of preschool children, you meet with Rod after the service. Uh, Rod, did you pick a spot for that? In the library. A great place to meet. Children with preschool students after the service meet Rod in the library. Uh, I don't know, Rod? <laughs> Okay, parents of preschool students and Carol can meet with Rod after the service. Uh, you can join us in the foyer after the service for coffee and a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. And then uh, after the service, something else. We have the young adults lunch. Um, if you are with us here this morning or you are online, you can check the website for our Young Adults Lunch, Campfire and Skating Meetup. Again, on the website for details, that's northgatebaptist.ca. All right, allow me to pray, and then we'll dismiss the children and get moving. God, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can, uh, we can meet, we can hear from your word this morning. God, that we can hear about what else is happening in our church family. God, we... Uh, Ah, we pray this morning that you would transform our hearts and our minds, that you would inspire us to, uh, yeah, to be a part of the work that you're doing in our community. pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we're glad you are part of our church family this morning. Uh, let me welcome you. Uh, and I'm excited as we get to open up the Word of God again this morning. And to do that, we're continuing in the book of 1 John. 
that we come to the passage this morning of 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, uh, which really, when you look at it, it has a message. It is a message that is nothing short of transformational uh, in our lives. Uh, in fact, I was actually thinking about this week. As we remember, this week is the two-year anniversary of when COVID shut down our lives. Uh, if you want to rewind in your brain back to two years ago, 2020, uh, March 5th, first case was confirmed in Alberta. Uh, March 11th, they declared COVID a global pandemic. And March 15th, uh, they announced they're going to shut down the schools. And it's been a roller coaster of self-isolation and social distancing and, you know, evolving variants ever since. And somehow those two weeks to flatten the curve became two years where our lives were just changed. Uh, and in the midst of COVID, you know, we had all those catchy sayings, you know, uh, we're all in the same boat, uh, don't hesitate, vaccinate, stay home, save lives. You can get a poster with that in 25 different languages, uh, get the jab, get back to normal, all that stuff. And they were designed to bring us together, I guess, but somewhere along the line, I think we all noticed the messages were going more from, we're all in this together, to... Uh, no jab, no job kind of thing. It's a different message altogether. You know, we can flatten the curve, went to stop killing granny. Um, and we never, honestly, after two years, I don't think I've ever felt so divided uh, as, as a society as we do now, where we've been, there's been arguing with each other and even, you know, members of your own family about vaccines, do you, don't you, mask, are you going to wear it or not, mandates, are you going to follow them? You know, uh, an Angus Reid poll actually was, just came out uh, for the two-year anniversary of COVID. It shows a majority of Canadians feel that COVID has uh, pulled people farther apart, uh, brought out the worst in people, and decreased our compassion for one another. Um, and I only tell you all of that to suggest that I think one of the big reasons we do feel so divided as a society is because we've overlooked the one message that could have made a real difference. Forget the catchy slogans. Because the message that John gives us this morning is the true source of unity. It, it is the true source of true fellowship and even true joy among people. Because the message John gives us this morning is that we should love one another. And if you want to follow along with me and see what a difference that message can make, uh, I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18 where he says this. He says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, 
but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. Father God, we just ask that you would be with us in our time together as we open your word. And Lord, you know, the work has been done, the preparation has been complete, but Lord, let us not overlook just our need of you as we open this word, that that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, into our congregation, into our lives, into me. Fill me, Lord. If there's any hindrance in me, Lord, that you may deal with it and cast it aside so that, Lord, your truth would just be plain and before us this morning. I pray that, Lord, as we hear it, uh, that, Lord, our lives would be changed, our lives would be transformed by this message that you have given us to love one another. Be with us, Lord, in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask a question. Um, Just simply, if someone were to watch your life on a day-to-day basis, um, how would they know that you're a Christian? What is it that would, would stand out? What would set you apart as being a person of faith? Would there be any clues? Uh, you know, I thought about that this week, and I think, you know, some people, they put that Jesus fish on their car, you know, let people know, I'm a Christian and I'm in front of you, so, you know, don't drive crazy when, you're, when you have that fish on your car, but that's one way. Uh, other people, maybe they carry a Bible around, or, or maybe they have a cross that they wear as, as a piece of jewelry. You know, that's a good way of saying, you know, I'm a person of faith. This is important to me. Uh, others might just, maybe they're wearing a printed t-shirt that says something really plain or has a Christian slogan. Uh, I remember when our kids were younger, we took a trip to Florida and um, the hotel we stayed at, there was this family in the pool and their kids all had, I love my church t-shirts. And I was like, we need to get those for you. And their kids were like, no, <laughs> but <laughs> just, they do love the church. They're just not doing it at the pool, I guess. But but you know, more than any of those things, the way that we are to tell the world that we are Christian, it comes from our conduct. Not anything we wear, not anything, you know, external. It, it's, it comes from how we behave in our conduct. And there's no part of our conduct that speaks more loudly about our faith than when we show love to other people. Jesus himself makes it clear when he says in John 13, Verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then he says, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Love is to be the testimony of our faith. And John is saying, you know, very much the same thing in our passage this morning. As he writes in 1 John of He sets up our passage in 1 John 3, verses 10, uh, which is the last verse we looked at last time. But in verse 10, he says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John says it's evident. He says, It is made clear by your behavior who you belong to. It's clear to the world that we are the children of God, he says, when we practice righteousness and when we show genuine love to each other. And then John then goes on in our passage uh, to set up the contrast in these verses between those two things, showing us what is the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. 
And that's what he has in mind when he's writing our passage. Beginning in 1 John 3, he says in verse 11, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. We know that you've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers who does not love abides in death. I mean, for a really kind of simple breakdown, and I could go on, but for a really simple breakdown of what John is saying in this passage, he says, when it comes to the children of God versus the children of the devil, he's saying, you can see the difference. You know who is who uh, when you look at, at, at their lives. And he gives us this contrast. Again, I've sort of set it up in a little chart. The children of God. Child of God shows love. He says the child of the devil shows hate. The child of God practices righteousness. The child of the devil has deeds that are evil. The child of God follows Jesus' example of sacrifice and humility. The child of devil follows Cain's example of, of, of being the first murderer in the Bible. The child of God experiences life. The child of the devil abides in death. And he go on, he's like, he talks about, you know, a child of God is a, a person who sacrifices. The child of the devil is someone who's selfish. Child of God is generous. Uh, child of the devil is full of greed. A child of God is full of action versus the child of the devil who's full of indifference. He gives us this list in this passage of the difference between these two, between a child of God and the child of the devil. And what I want you to see in that list is that the key to those differences, the thing that most clearly separates these two things from one another, if you could draw a line right right down the middle of what separates these two, that line would be love. Love is what separates us from being a child of God and the child of the devil. And there's some people who think, well, that, that can't be it. That can't be all. I mean, there has to be more to it than just that. But it, love is what it is. And you know, there's this old story that has talked about John, the Apostle John at the end of his life. He was very weak. He couldn't walk anymore, even, even sit upright. And it was said that he was brought into the Christian assemblies by, on a stretcher by his friends. And he would prop himself up on one elbow and he would whisper to the assembly, The words, little children, love one another. And then he would lie back down exhausted. And the next time they would meet, he would do the exact same thing. And finally, someone objected and said, we've already heard that. It's too simple. What further teaching can you give us? What other emphasis can you bring? And John's answer to those who objected was to say, I say love one another because it is the Lord's command. And if this is all that you do, it's enough. And you know, over and over we are commanded in Scripture to love one another. Romans 12 verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Philippians 1.9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Hebrews 12.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another deeply from a pure heart. Romans 13.8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. 
And even John again, 2 John verse one, verse, well, chapter 1, verse 5, says, Not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one you've heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And that's, I'll be, that's a small sample of the verses I could have read. Because there's so many other verses that tell us we need to be loving one another. But why does the Bible insist on telling us over and over again in so many different ways that we are to love one another? And the simple answer is, is because it's, so, it's to be so central to our lives as believers. The answer about why we are told so often about this is because this is a truth that is too important and too essential to our lives as believers to overlook. And you need to hear this. Love matters too much for us to ignore it. Even Jesus, when he was asked, the people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's most important? Like, if you're going to categorize things on a list, what's number one? What is it we should be doing? And Jesus answered, Matthew 22, beginning of verse 37, he says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all of the law and the prophets. And I hope you kind of heard what Jesus had just said there. Because Jesus has just told us that the greatest thing that you or I can ever do and ever will do with our lives is to love. Love is the summary of everything that God wants his people to be doing. We're to be loving God and we're to be loving people. And everything hangs on that. Everything hangs on love. And that's not, that'll never change. So to make it really simple for you this morning, if, if you want to make a difference for the kingdom of God here on earth, go out and love somebody. If you want to do something that has lasting value, love somebody. If you want to do something that you will make a difference for eternity, love somebody. Because love is what makes the difference. And it's with this in mind that I just want us to walk through um, this passage that John has written uh, and just learn about the kind of love that John is telling us about, about the kind of love we're to be living. In fact, as I studied this passage this week, it occurred to me that this passage is it's probably one of the best teachings about love that we find in the Bible. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, it's still going to be the one people are going to read at weddings, but 1 John 3, verses 11 to 18 has just as powerful truths to convey to us about what love is like. There are profound lessons about love here that John wants us to know. And the first lesson that we learn here, and I don't think this is one we can overlook, is the first lesson is that John tells us love comes from God. Um, he says in 1 John 3, 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now John is rooting uh, this message of loving one another, uh, not in the effort of the, the, of the, or the character of the believers who are reading this, but he's rooting it in the message they received from the beginning. And most scholars agree that means he's going back to the teachings of Jesus himself, the proclamation of the gospel. He's saying love is rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that means that when you really stop to look at love, 
you have to understand love is something that originates with God himself. Uh, John is actually going to clarify himself on this, on this a little bit later in this letter as he says in 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. True love is rooted and founded and established in the person of God himself. Because God is love. That means God defines what true love it really is. And again, we need to be clear about that if, if we're going to truly understand what it means to love one another. In fact, that's why John uses that Greek word for love, agape, in this verse. Um, because, you know, back in John's day, people knew of, they knew of romantic boy-girl love. And they actually had a different word for it. Unlike us, we just have love, which covers everything. But they had a different word. They, had, they called that eros. And they knew of brotherly love or family love, so they called that philos. They had a different word for that. But the, this word for unconditional love was almost unheard of until Christians began using the word agape. It was a new name for what really amounted to a new kind of love. Um, and outside the Bible, that word agape was, was it's extremely rare uh, in the ancient literature. But in the Bible, it's everywhere. And in English, we, again, we only have the one word for love, but maybe we should capitalize it or something, set it apart uh, to just show how this love is just, tr it's truly special. The love of God is a different kind of love altogether. It's unlike anything we find in this world. It's, it's unconditional love. It's sacrificial love. It is perfect love. This kind of love isn't natural. It's supernatural. Literally, literally, this love is, is literally, it's a miracle. It, it, is, it is love that is miraculous. And that's why a loving community is not an automatic byproduct of being the church. Because there's nothing in our fallen nature that will lead us to love like this apart from Christ. The only way we will be successful in loving other people like this is if God's love is first flowing in us. We can only truly love others out of this, the overflow of God's love for us that we are experiencing through our relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't do this on your own. You have to have God's love flowing in you so that it overflows to the people around you. And that leads us to the second lesson we learn here about love. Found in verse 12, where we're told we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. And murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And this is a lesson I think we learn about love from sort of the negative. It's not about what love is, but it's also about what lo love is not. And that is love is not a partner of evil. Because love really is a, is a servant of righteousness. Just as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love discerns right from wrong. Because again, love, this love is rooted in the character of God. And this is, I think, an especially important truth for our world today because love in our world today has often been used as sort of a green light for people doing whatever they want to do. Love has actually become the excuse for all kinds of behaviors that God would actually disapprove of. You know, you have marriages that break up because one spouse fell out of love or fell in, in love with someone else. You have homosexual marriage. Which happens because people say, we can't control who we love. You know, sometimes you'll even hear people say something like, well, if you really loved me, you'll let me do this. 
There's all kinds of sins in our world today that thrive under the assumption that if it's done in love, it should not be denied. But again, this verse tells us love is not a free-for-all. Because love has, has a moral compass. And you can, you can love people and disagree with them. You know, in fact, that's a commandment. We love our enemies. But love, even though you love that person, there's still times when you have to say no. That that is wrong for your life. And you have to set those boundaries. Because God's truth and God's love should not ever be things that we think about separately. Um, yeah. Of course, that's probably not a very popular opinion in our world today, uh, which leads us to verse 13, where John says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And here's another lesson about love, that you know what, if you're going to love like this, it is not going to be easy. It's not going to be without cost. It's, yeah, it's not even going to make you popular because, you know, we might think, you might think that, you know, if, if I were to love someone else, the natural reaction is that they're going to love me in return. They're going to appreciate that love. But that's just not the case. In fact, when it comes to the world, more often than not, the world will end up hating us for it. And that's a tragedy, but it's also the reality that in this world, you know, kindness is often repaid with callousness. And generosity is often abused by greed. You know, selflessness is often the victim of selfishness. And John tells us, don't let that surprise you. That should not come as a shock. It's just the way of the world. We should expect it. Because you know what? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are kingdoms that are at war. And you know what? War, as we're seeing and hearing about each night on the news right now, war doesn't always make sense. Just as Jesus told his disciples in John 15, beginning of verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world, it's, it is going to hate us just for showing people the love of Christ. But you know, I think a lesson that we need to learn here is that even though love isn't easy, we still need to love. We should still love people anyways. Because the love of God is not a tit-for-tat thing. It's not, I will love you, but only if you love me in return. No, this love that we show is unconditional. It is, it is a love based in the character of Jesus' love for us. And that leads us to verse 14, where we read, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And I'll tell you the truth, this is actually my favorite verse in this entire passage for what it teaches us about love. Because it teaches us that to love is to experience life. Um, and even more importantly, the life that John is talking about here that we experience, it's not just physical life. It's not just breathing and digesting and exchanging of oxygen and for carbon dioxide in our bodies. As he references in verse 15, the life he's talking about here is eternal life. I like how one commentary put it, if you choose to love when the world hates you, then you've chosen to truly live. And remember when John talks about eternal life, he's not telling us about something that will only sort of, that will only take hold of one day far off when we finally get to heaven. When John talks about eternal life, he's talking about something we are experiencing right now in our lives in the present. He's saying when we love, 
Eternal life begins for us right now. When we love, it is a taste of heaven, even while we're still here on earth. Because loving others is the epitome of life in Christ. So eternal life is what is happening in our lives every moment we choose to love. To truly live is to, to, is to love, and to truly love is to truly live. Of course, not everyone will make that choice. Just look at verse 50, where John says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And this is another one of those lessons I think we learn about love sort of from the negative, because he talks about hate. And hate, hate is the attitude of the world around us. And hatred, hatred leads to what is probably, the, well, not probably, the lowest level of human relationship, which is murder. I mean, murder is as bad as a relationship can get. Murder is rock bottom. If you're murdering, it's probably not going to work out, I guess. Um, you know, nothing says, you know, my life is more important than yours than by, you know, killing someone. And both hatred and murder, you know, these are things that have no concern for the well-being of the other person. Hate will murder a person before it surrenders to them. And the only difference, we're told, between hate and actual murder is the physical act. The attitude of the heart is actually the same. And it's the attitude that matters. I mean, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21, he says, you've heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. But you know what? If hatred and murder are the nature of this world, then the nature of the love is the opposite. Because love puts other people first. And John even says that in the very next verse, verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He's telling us the nature of love is not selfishness, it is sacrifice. The nature of God's love is compassion, it is selflessness. Because again, the nature of this love is a reflection of Jesus' love for us. And it actually reminds me of that great passage in Philippians chapter 2, uh, where Paul writes, beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When it comes to loving others, that should be our attitude. And again, that means that love, it seeks what is best for the other person. Love helps and doesn't hurt. Love seeks to heal and not harm. 
Love does what is necessary to bless other people. Love puts others first, even if there's a personal cost. That's just the nature of true love. And if we're speaking of costs, we can go on to look at verse 17, where John says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And here's the next lesson we learn here about love, that love Love is generous. L- lo- love may, you know, love may count the cost, but love pays the cost willingly. And sometimes that cost, the cost of loving others is personal. You know, we just talked about how it's self-sacrifice. But sometimes the cost of love is material as well. It hits our pocketbooks. It, it hits us, you know, in our material goods. And notice John doesn't say here, you know, if you're rich or you have a little money on the side that you don't know what to do with, then you can help people meet the needs. He doesn't say that. The language John uses here is more like if you see a need and you have the ability to help meet the need, then you need to act on that need. It's not about how much you have. It's about what you're willing to do with what you already have been given. Because love is to be generous. And in Christ, it is generous beyond our ability to comprehend. Because you know what? Love is not just an airy-fairy feeling that we have for other people. Love is something that makes a real, tangible difference in the lives of the people around us. Meaning that love, love takes action. It's not indifferent to the needs around it. It moves. Which will be actually our final lesson about love this morning. Because I said, love is not a feeling. Love is action. Love is not how I feel about that person. It is about how I treat that other person. Uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, do not waste time bothering about whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And that's an important lesson. Because the person who truly loves does so because of a decision to show love for others in their actions. They don't wait for the feelings. They, they, They move. Uh, Just as John says in the final verse here, verse 18, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. I think that's the Bible's way of basically saying, put your money where your mouth is. Say, don't just talk about it. Do it. Because, you know, at the time that John was writing here, there were a lot of people, there there were false teachers in the churches who were claiming to be believers, but their actions said otherwise. They were talking about love, but they weren't showing it. And those people, they could fake a lot of churchy behaviors, but they couldn't fake genuine love. Because love has to be more than just talk. Because love is not idle in the face of needs or opportunities. Love is always willing to do the next thing. Love is always willing to take the next step in order to help. Like uh, writer William Ward describes it, saying it like this. He says, I will do more than belong. I will participate. I will do more than just care. I will help. I'll do more than just believe. I will practice. I'll do more than dream. I will work. I will do more than teach. I will inspire. I'll do more than earn. I will enrich. I will do more than live. I will grow. Because love is always willing to do more. Love is not just words and talk. Love is in deed and in truth. Love takes action. And you know, as you look at this list 
of what love truly is. I mean, it's, it's inspiring. And it's also, I think, a bit humbling. But you know what? In closing, I think the only thing that I would even want to add to this is simply to say that there is a desire for us as a church to be the kind of church that has this kind of love for one another. I can tell you that as a church, we want to be a place where people are loved. That when there is pain, we want to see healing. You know, when there's a need, we want to be able to help. When someone's strength fails, we want to be able to come alongside them to encourage them and support them. When someone wanders away, we don't want to just miss them. We want to go out there and bring them back. And when someone falls, we want to see that person restored and living a vital relationship with Jesus Christ once again. We want to be people who love one another so that we can let the world know that God has touched our own hearts and transformed our lives with his love. We want love to be our testimony. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is by an author named Marion Jacob who says, if true fellowship and sharing among the saints is present, such a transformation probably would do more to attract others to Jesus Christ than any house-to-house canvassing, evangelistic campaign, or new church facility. People are hungry for acceptance, love, and friends. And unless they find them in church, they may not stay there long enough to be personally related to Jesus. People are not persuaded, they're attracted. And we communicate far more by who we are than what we just say. So I want you to hear it again. If you want to make a difference for the kingdom of God here on earth, then love somebody. If you want to do something that has lasting value and you know it, then love somebody. If you want to do something that will make a difference for eternity, Find someone to love. And if you want to be attending an amazing church, then love the people around you. Because whether it is, you know, the times we're living in now or whether we're, you know, the times we're going to face tomorrow and going forward in the future, we need to take advantage. We need to take this advice that John gives us to heart. For this is the message we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Because in the end, if we have nothing else left but our love for Christ and our love for one another, we would find that love is enough. Let's pray. Father God, I think I would add my prayer to the prayer of Paul. um, Where I would say, Lord, I would pray that you would increase our love for one another. Increase our love for you. That, Lord, our love for you would be just so great, so growing, so overflowing that that love would just naturally flow uh, into the lives of those around us. And that, Lord, that love would not be conditional, but it would be a true reflection of the nature of love that you have shown us, that it would be sacrificial, that it would be love that is surrendered, that it would be love that is supernatural, agape love. And Lord, I pray that as we love one another, that we would see lives changed. That, Lord, we would see our church changed. That we would see our community changed. And that the world, the people around us, that they would take notice. That they would see the difference that love would make. That love would be the testimony that we have to the world around us. And they may not understand it. They may even reject us for it. But, Lord, they would not be able to deny it. 
And I pray that, Lord, as we obey this command, um, that, Lord, you would just help us to truly love one another as a body of believers. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.